0: It's possible that one of the people who is running for president on the Republican ticket will be picked as the running mate, but historically it doesn't happen very often. If you look at the um, election, say in the modern period, say since um, 1960, there've only been five times where a, a presidential candidate choosing a, a new running mate. I think what we see happening oftentimes is that People will sort of latch on to one factor, but if you sort of look more historically, that's a much more complicated um, calculus in picking a running mate.
1: Welcome to Politics Is Everything, the podcast of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. I'm Kara ong And
2: I'm Kyle Kondik.
1: And we're delighted to have joining us in this episode, Dr. Joel Goldstein, who is a professor at St. Louis University and a scholar of the vice presidency. Thank you so much for joining us, Joel. Oh, thanks for having me. One of the things we like to do here at the Center for Politics is to really interrogate some of the mainstream headlines and what's happening in the news. And one of those things that came out recently was regarding the Republican primary presidential debate. Uh, And we started to hear this media narrative that that stage was an audition for the vice presidency. Um, And you have written about the history of vice presidential nominations. I wonder if you could just start by telling us why this is not likely to be the case.
0: It's possible that one of the people who is running for president on the Republican ticket will be picked as the running mate. But historically, it doesn't happen very often. I mean, if you look at the um, Elections, say, in a modern period, say, since um, 1960, there have only been five times where uh, a presidential candidate choosing a, a new running mate, in other words, not simply picking the person that he or she ran with the last time, has chosen um, somebody who ran ag- against him or her in that uh, cycle. So, you know, there have been, been 25 such selections and only five instances uh, where uh, a rival has been selected. Um, And so, you know, it's not likely, um, although it's it's certainly possible. Um, and, And I think what we see happening oftentimes is that people will sort of latch on to one factor and they'll say, well, this is what's going on. But if you sort of look more historically Generally speaking, that one factor isn't what's going on. It's a much more complicated um, calculus in picking a running mate than whether they're running against you or or a number of other
2: um, uh, uh, variables. Um, Joel, you know, if if in fact it's Donald Trump as the Republican nominee, which you know he's leading by a lot now, but he's got a lot of baggage too. So I mean, who knows what will happen? Do you think that any of these candidates who are the other Republican candidates who are running, like? Would make a, a a strong or logical VP pick um for him, you know, if he were to consider one of the other candidates running against him?
0: The way you asked the question, Kyle, I mean, you're really getting at really what is more of the decision is 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 somebody going to add value to your ticket? is are they going to enhance your chances of getting to two hundred and seventy electoral votes? Are they going to send messages about you, the selector, that is going to reshape the way that, or affect the way that people look at you? Um, and, and, and so, you know, if you look at the, the group, a lot of course depends on how they present themselves across the campaign, whether they make favorable impressions or, or not. Um, but, um, you know, generally speaking, you'd think that you'd want to pick somebody who would add something. Um, to your, your ticket, not necessarily somebody who would simply reinforce, um, strength that you already have. Um, and so, you know, you look at people like somebody like, like, uh, Governor Haley or, or, um, Senator Scott, for instance, if they were perceived as being, um, you know, presidential, um, might add some value. Um, but, um. But I think a lot depends upon how they, how things play out, you know, and of course that's assuming that, 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 uh, Trump is the nominee. If it were somebody else,
2: it might be a different calculus. You know, you mentioned in the piece, uh, you know, one of the people who sometimes mentioned as a possible Trump running mate from the current field is, uh, the, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, who, you know, hasn't run for anything in the past. And, um, the very fact that he hasn't held office before that would make him a very odd selection, right?
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look at, um, people who are selected as, as running mates, um, you know, not since 1936, um, when Alf Landon chose, um, newspaper publisher, Frank Knox has somebody who has never held prior, um, uh, office been selected, uh, as, as the running mate. Um, and in fact, um, if you look at the people who are selected as, as running mates, uh, on both sides, they, they've all been uh, first time running mates, have all been either present or former senators, governors, uh, members of the House of Representatives, or, or high executive officials. Um, so, for somebody who's been a business executive, um, you know, that would be an anomalous uh, selection. Now, having said that, uh, you know, before Donald Trump was nominated, As, um, the Republican nominee, we hadn't had a nominee who had never served in, in either in civilian or military um, position either. So, I mean, and, and, and we do have anomalous, um, selections, um, so that happen. but, um, but it would be an unusual pick to pick somebody, um, who, who had never served in office.
1: I, I wonder to what extent the selection of vice presidential nominees by a presidential candidate um, is impacted by the party establishment and how that has waxed and waned over time. Because it seems to me that in the past, there have been times where a presidential candidate, especially one that might be coming from the outside or might be less popular with the so-called establishment, the party elites, um, you know, might choose somebody who is more sort of inside <laughs> the establishment. Um, and and so I wonder if you can, what your observations are about how that matters.
0: No, I, I mean I think that's a great insight because and in, in, you know if, if you go back historically in the you know for most of the 19th century and and really the 20th century, um, uh, for much of the, the the first half of the 20th century, um, party leaders, not the presidential nominee, played the leading role in in selecting the running mate. So typically. What would happen would be if one faction won the presidential nomination, you'd look to a different faction for the vice presidential nomination to sort of bring the party together or to, to um, add strength. Sometimes it was a function of a deal that had been made in order to get the nomination. Um, but beginning around 1940, where the presidential nominee starts to play the major role in selecting um, the running mate, um, it, it changes, but there's still, um, a lot of c- consultation with, with party establishment and particularly, um, you know, there would be meetings at the convention when the nomination vice presidential nominations were, were made at the convention really, um, until the 1980s. Um, they were, they were decided and announced at the convention. Um, and so there was a lot of discussion, um, meeting with party, uh, leaders, um, interest group leaders, and so forth at the convention. Now what happens is that with the system of primaries and caucuses, where the presidential nomination is generally um, sewn up in advance, the presidential nominee before the convention starts focusing on the choice. Um, he or she still engages in consultation because you want the announcement, you want your, the convention to be a happy celebration of the ticket. You don't wanna select somebody where there's then gonna be um, a blowback against it. Um, I mean, I think that was one of the issues that John McCain had in 2008. I mean, there's a lot of evidence that he really wanted to pick Joe Lieberman um, as his running mate, but um, at a certain point, he realized that if, uh, among other things, that if he picked Lieberman, who had been Al Gore's running mate eight years earlier and had taken a lot of positions on social issues that were, um, were, you know, opposite the Republican platform that there would be a lot of pushback at the convention. And so instead of a celebration of McCain, the story would be, you know, pushback over the Lieberman, um, nomination. So there still is, um, um, a lot of consultation and. Presidential uh, candidates are sensitive to um, to the impact of a choice, and I think you know we saw that even with Donald Trump in in 2016. Um, the the selection of Mike Pence in some respects was viewed as as being somebody who was more of a conventional um, Republican politician who could speak to Republican officeholders, um, who who could reach out to some of the more religious. Um, conservatives and the evangelical uh, community
2: where Trump wasn't at that time seen as, as particularly strong. Yeah, when, when uh, both you and Kara were talking about that sort of, uh, you know, getting, picking someone who was maybe closer to the so, quote-unquote establishment, I mean, Pence really, to me, stands out as a recent choice that I think, you know, successfully accomplished that in that he, you know, provided kind of an olive branch to some of the groups you've talked about. Now, obviously, Trump doesn't really need that anymore, and so, you know, Pence is not going to be uh selected again uh but uh, but i think he served the purpose at that time um i wanted to switch gears and ask about something else you wrote for us uh, a little while back about uh, about the kamala harris the sitting vice president and another narrative that i think some people find exhausting and i i don't want to put words in your mouth but maybe you find exhausting too is this idea of like dumping the running mate it comes up every four years if you got an incumbent president and you know it, 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 it as, as you've noted uh, it's something that gets talked about a lot, but but really doesn't happen very often, right?
0: you're absolutely right, Kyle. I mean you know um, it, it it's a regular storyline um, you know for, for for many, if not most vice presidents, I mean even Dick Cheney, there was talk in two thousand and four that that George w. Bush you know whether he would or should um, dump Cheney and in fact Cheney apparently raised the subject with Bush and and, and sort of expressed willingness if Bush wanted to make a change. And Bush thought about, you know, other options, including uh, Bill Frist, the senator from Tennessee, who I think was then the majority leader and, and ultimately decided not to. But so, uh, you know, but the last time it's happened was in, in 1976, when when uh, Gerald Ford dumped Nelson Rockefeller um, in really around Thanksgiving of 1975, uh, asked him to take himself out of consideration for the 76 ticket. Um, And before that, um, Henry Wallace in in 1944. Um, So it's frequently discussed, it doesn't happen. um, And it doesn't happen for a variety of reasons. I mean, typically um, vice presidents have some strength in the party. That's why they were selected. And during the first term, they've done a lot of party events and they've done a lot of events to, to strengthen their position with their constituencies. And, and so if you dump a vice president, um, you're likely to, to make some, you know, group in your base unhappy. Um, and, you know, and that's what I think, you know, George HW Bush found When there was talk about dumping Dan Quayle, that's what Dwight Eisenhower found when there was talk in 56 about dumping Richard Nixon. Um, It it is also the perception that it makes the presidential candidate um, um, look weak or it looks like he or she made a mistake in their original selection. Um, So it just um, doesn't happen um, very often, Um, although it's frequently... uh, you know, it's a popular uh, storyline. I, w-
1: I wonder if I could ask a follow up on on Vice President Harris, because there was a great um, in-depth piece by Ested Herndon at The New York Times this week that sort of summarized a lot of things that had been observed. Um, but he you know, went out and did 75 interviews of with people within the vice president's orbit um, and and found that really that Democrats themselves have not really embraced her. Um, and and that she, you know continues to face perception problems both within the public but also within the party and And some of it is a result of press, and some of it um, is a result of polling and and others are just sort of problems of the realities of racism and sexism. And I wonder if you have any observations about, you know, is is Harris sort of, Unique in this regard, or, or or are there a particular set of challenges that she faces that other vice presidents haven't?
0: I think that you know some part of it of of the challenge that I think she's faced has to do with with race and gender, um, and I think some of it is is I mean there's a range of of, of attitudes that are involved, but some is that. Um, you know, just as once upon a time for a lot of people, if you thought about what did a, what did a, a veteran look like, the picture that came to mind was of a man. Um, and, um, now, I mean, I think the question is, what do you see as being presidential, sitting behind the resolute, you know, the was it the resolution desk or sitting in the oval office. Um, I think for some people, the the first image is of a man, um, and that's because, you know, if you look at the pictures, um, you know, on, on presidential libraries or, uh, on collections of presidents, that's what they all are. And so there's, so that's some of it. Some of it is that, I mean, a lot of times you hear these comments. I remember there was one earlier story where people were, 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 a, a, a donor, a fundraiser, Democratic fundraiser was saying, I don't know what Harris is doing. And I mean, my reaction to that was, well, if you Google, you know, Kamala Harris, um, you'll see that she, back at that time, she was doing an awful lot of events on reproductive rights. And she was really the leading spokesperson in the aftermath of, uh, or really leading up to the Dobbs decision and after the Dobbs decision talking about reproductive rights and meeting with, um, you know, state attorney general, state legislators doing events around the country. Um, and so, um, and, and, you know, some of the narrative recently has been questions where, you know, Speaker Pelosi, um, response was that, that she was president Biden's choice. Well, in the sense, historically in the way our system works, that's actually an accurate answer. I mean, because the issue really isn't whether she's Speaker Pelosi's first choice or, or uh, you know, Senator X or Representative Y's first choice. We've really accepted a, a system where the presidential nominee m- makes a recommendation based on consultation, and then un- unless the choice is just outrageous, which it, it never is, um, or almost never is, um, the, the party accepts it. And so, um, I think some of the, the pushback, um, is, is a little bit mystifying to me. Um, but, but it's also not, it's not unique, um, to her. I mean, you know, Richard Nixon had detractors in 1956, um, there were people in 2008, or, sorry, in, in 2012, who were saying that that uh, President Obama should should uh, replace uh, Vice President Biden with Secretary Clinton? Um, you know, the, uh, there are people saying that Cheney should go or Quayle should go. Um, so it's it's not a
2: um, it's not unique to Vice President Harris. Um, you know, one one other thing that you sort of tie in with the, the Harris question is that you know her favorability is is not very good. It's pretty similar to what Biden's is. And there's this idea that because Biden is of advanced age and people are concerned about his health very rightly or wrongly, but um uh, that that you know that that basically the the v p or Harris herself is sort of more important in the general election campaign to come than maybe your average running mate might be and i what what do you think about that sort of that sort of suggestion that basically because of the you know, kind of actuarial table possibilities that she might be likelier to ascend to the job if Biden gets a second term. Um, do, do you think that that makes there be more of a focus on Harris, or is that is, is that maybe overhyped? When age or our
0: health of a, candidate, a presidential candidate is uh, on the table, it, it, it makes the vice president um, and his or her presidential qualities more of a of a factor um, i think you know in, in 1956 eisenhower had, had a, a heart attack in 1955 um, and then he had uh, he had uh, intestinal surgery in, in june of 1956 so that made um, made the vice president more important um, in people's eyes um, um, and i think we saw some of that in In 1984, after President Reagan had the disastrous first debate with Walter Mondale and people wondering whether um, he was still up to the job and so forth, um, um, it it became uh, a bit of an issue. Um, So I think it it is likely to be more of of an issue. I think one of the things that's a little bit misleading right now is that um, right now, Vice President Harris is um, it, it is being sort of compared to sort of a, a standard of, of presidential excellence and not the, the question isn't being asked, well, would you prefer her say to Donald Trump or to, um, governor DeSantis, or would you, how do you view her versus one of the Republican, you know, who, who ends up as her, her, her opponent, um, and, you know, it, it, it'd be interesting to see whether um, whether when whoever the presidential nominee is makes his or her selection, whether um, the Republican vice presidential candidate is viewed as um, is somebody who people feel more comfortable um, sitting in the Oval Office than Vice President Harris has. I mean, she'll be able to talk about extensive um, uh, work she's done on issues that are important to the democratic base. She'll be able to talk about a lot of international assignments that she's had. Um, many of which have been, have been, you know, rather significant. Um, and so it'd be interesting to see how she'll be perceived at that point. Um, so, I mean, I think there's a little bit of a, of a, um, in fact right now, she's not being compared to an actual rival, um. You know, if you compare Edmund Muskie to, 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 you know, a, a general standard, it's different than comparing him to Cispiro S- S- Agnew. Um, um, and you know, you compare Lloyd Benson to a general standard; it's different than when you compare him to 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 Dan Quayle or, or vice versa.
2: I think I feel like you in in the past you've mentioned Muskie as being kind of one of the most electorally kind of impactful or successful running mates and that he was, a you know, basically a good choice for Humphrey in 68 and you know, probably helped in his home state and also uh, uh, probably helped in a general election sense, particularly in the comparison to Agnew. Um, I, I was just wondering, you know, one, if you still feel that way about about Muskie and also maybe if there are other, you know, campaigns more recently where you thought a, a VP choice ended up being like pretty, you know. Helpful, at least to some extent, um, electorally.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it's a great question, Kyle. And, and um, it, you know, Muskie really um, ran a, um, a, a an effective campaign, and it, and it was an interesting campaign because it was, you know, Hump, George Wallace was a third party candidate and um and was a, was pulling away a lot of uh, of 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 ethnic um democrats and also democrats who were concerned about law and order issues and and race issues and so muskie had had part of his role was to appeal to to you know ethnic democrats who had misgivings about um, some of the democratic platform and he did it by really a, a, Talking about his his father's uh, history as an immigrant from Poland and, and 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 coming over and 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 looking for freedom in America and how um, how what he was looking for um, and what his audiences ancestors were looking for in America is is what uh, um, a, a lot of uh, people were now looking for in 1968. Um, but, but his, his role also was to sort of pull back some anti-war, you know, Gene McCarthy dissidents. Um, and I think he was effective in, 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 doing that. It's really hard to measure vice presidential impact. Um, I'm not, you know, a, a a heavily, uh, empirical or quantitative, um, guy and I, but I'm, I'm always a, a bit suspicious of some of the measures where they try and compare uh, say well, a vice presidential candidate had this impact or, or that impact. It's very difficult because you don't really have a very effective control. Um, is to um, I mean, you you can you you pick a, a running mate and you can, but but you don't really know how somebody else would have done. You can say well, if Al Gore had picked Bob Graham, would he have carried Florida? Well, you don't know how Bob Graham would have done in Florida, and would he have done? Um, better than Joe Lieberman helped in Florida? And how would, how would Graham have done as a candidate? What message would that have sent to, about Gore as a candidate? Um, would it have helped him shape a, a public persona that he wanted to use? The selection is shaping. I think, I mean, to get to your question, I, I think there was some evidence that Walter Mondale really did help Jimmy Carter in 1976 um, that some of the places that he campaigned, um, particularly towards the end of the campaign were critical to Carter's electoral, uh, win. I think that, um, you know, that when Clinton picked Al Gore, I think that was uh, one of the rare sort of reinforcement selections. But I think that the picture of the two of them together really personified change in a way that Clinton by himself didn't. Um, I think that, you know, when Bush picked Cheney, I think it was an effective way of sending a message that he was going to surround himself with, with gravitas and people with experience and that you didn't really need to worry that he didn't have the national security experience because he was going to be listening to, you know, people who, you know, had prosecuted the Persian Gulf War successfully and, and, and knew what they were doing. And so I, I think that those are some where I think that, that the vice presidential choice made a difference. But it's often a diff- difference that's hard to measure, and sometimes it's it's measured in the the impact it has on perceptions of the presidential candidate, um, not on um, you know being able to see lots of votes shifting because somebody prefers the vice presidential candidate.
1: Joel Goldstein, thank you so much for joining us on Politics Is Everything, listeners. You can read his newest article. 2024 GOP rivals teaming up on the ticket don't bet on it on the crystal ball link is in the episode notes.
0: Thanks Joel. this is fun. Thanks for having me
1: Hi podcast listeners thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Politics is Everything. Editing and production was done by me, Kara Ong Whaley. You can learn more about the Center for politics and its work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. You can also engage with us on social media at Center Number Four Politics. We welcome your suggestions and questions for a future episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time.
0: This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.